want to start by asking for a show of hands. Who in the room loves a good checklist that they can work through? Any checklist? Oh, a lot of you. Okay. Now, even better than the checklist are those apps and things like that, where when you like press the button to say that you've completed the task, it makes a little ding noise. Isn't that satisfying? When you go, oh, I really have finished that task. And I know there are probably some people, I don't know if you will put your hand up or not and admit it, that you will add a task after you've done it, just so it's on the list and you can tick, oh, we even have someone jumping their hand up in the air. Any of those people who add the task after they've done it just to prove it was done and ticked off. All right, sometimes when we start preparing a message to share on Sunday, uh, God starts speaking to, well, to me personally about the very thing that we're meant to be teaching others about. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 says, We continue, uh, continue to tell people about Christ. We use all wisdom to counsel every person and teach every person. We are trying to bring everyone, including ourselves, before God as people who have grown to spiritual maturity in Christ. It's in Colossians 1. Now, God wants to see all of us take our next step towards spiritual maturity. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, whether you've only recently made the decision to follow to be a follower of Jesus, or whether you've walked in relationship with him for many years. God's desire is that we all keep growing stronger in our faith, deeper in our understanding of his word, and closer in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And today's message is just as much for me as it is for everyone else in the room and online. So I'd like to take a moment to pray before we start. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we are all on a journey, no matter where we are. We thank, thank you that you are with us. And I just pray as I share this message today that you will continue to help us as we grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we have a week of prayer and fasting starting on the 19th of November. Anyone in here, you know, get this feeling inside when we hear the word prayer and fasting? So when I started wondering whether some of my previous attempts of fasting were a bit like ticking off a to-do list, and if I'm completely honest, there have been times in the past when I've had good intentions to fast, but the follow-through didn't happen. And yet I look back over my week to see if there was something that I'd gone without that if someone asked me, I could say, oh yes, I, I fasted last week, I didn't watch TV at all. Um, even though there was nothing apart from the missing the TV that was happening. It wasn't really a fast. Now, just in case you're wondering, my attitude towards fasting has improved over the years. But in recent weeks, I read a statement by Arthur Wallace in his book, God's Chosen Fast. And this comment has been replaying in my mind and stirring in my heart. He says, as spirituality waned and worldliness flourished in the churches, more and more emphasis was placed on the outward act of fasting, though missing the inward spirit that alone could give it value. I just want to read that second part of that statement again. There was less emphasis being placed on the inward spirit and it's actually that inward spirit that gives fasting its value. This statement can be quite challenging because it causes us to consider whether some of our attempts at fasting have merely been an outward activity like missing a meal, 
turning off the TV or going without social media? Or is there actually a genuine engagement with our inward spirit during this time of fasting? In Matthew chapter 5 and 7, Jesus is delivering what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, he talks about giving, prayer and fasting, among other things. And in each of these situations, he encourages us or encourages his disciples to focus on what's happening on the inside rather than how it looks on the outside. What are they thinking and feeling when they're praying and fasting and giving? And what is their attitude and their motivation for those things? Verses 16 to 18 says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and dishevelled to people, so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice what you are doing except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, in recent years, scientists and dietitians have discovered the health benefits of fasting. In fact, some of you may know a Japanese man by the name of Yoshinori Osumi won a Nobel Prize in 2016 for his work in the area of fasting and the positive effects that it has on the body and the mind. But from a biblical and a spiritual perspective, a time of fasting is meant to be an opportunity to worship our Heavenly Father and spend time enjoying conversation with Him. If the only thing we have to say at the end of a time of fasting is that we went without food for a week or we didn't look at our social media for seven days, we've missed the point. And I know there are times where I've been guilty of that very thing. For some of you, you can probably say without hesitation that you have dedicated time to prayer and worship whenever we've had a season of fasting. There may be some people in the room who didn't even know or have never even considered fasting as a spiritual practice that you could do or you should do. And then there are others like me who have chosen to fast from something. You can honestly say you have fasted from something, but we're not necessarily always putting aside time for prayer and worship as part of that fast. Today I want to focus on Arthur Wallace's statement about the inward experience of fasting. But if you would like some really practical advice in preparation for our upcoming week of fasting, I encourage you to go back to our website and listen to a great message that Pastor Linda did early in January this year as part of our Rhythms of Grace series. If you scroll down on the main page of our website, you can find past messages by clicking on the button that says Latest Message. So I want to start by reading a passage of scripture from Acts 13, where we see the preparation for what was to become Paul's first missionary journey. Verses 1 to 3 says, Among the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manaen, and Saul, also known as Paul. One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. 
Now, as the story continues, they they head for the island of Cyprus and they preach from town to town. The governor of Paphos seeks them out because he wants to hear the word of God. But there's a sorcerer and he's trying to interfere and block him from believing. Paul, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, discerned what was going on and he was able to look the sorcerer in the eyes. And as he confronted the evil spirit, there was a mist and a darkness that came over the sorcerer's eyes so he could no longer see for a period of time. And when the governor saw what had happened, he was amazed and immediately became a believer. And there were many people who became believers during the time that Paul and Barnabas were there on the island. Now, as there are three key things that laid the groundwork for Paul's first missionary trip, fasting, worship and prayer. In verse 2, it says these men were not only fasting, but they were worshipping the Lord as well. Now, next week, Pastor Sean is going to be speaking on worship, so I won't focus on it too much today, except I do want to share a quote from an American theologian named John Piper. And when describing worship, he wrote, we can use words like treasuring or prizing God or delighting in God or reverencing God or being satisfied with God. All of these are inner responses to God that reflect his infinite worth and beauty. And that is what worship was designed to do, to put the supreme worth of God on display. How often do we worship God in this way? either on our day-to-day basis or even during a time of fasting. How often do we treasure him, delight in him? How often are we satisfied with him? It was during this time of worship and fasting that the prophets and teachers heard the Holy Spirit and they knew that it was Paul and Barnabas were the ones that had to be sent. It's like being fine-tuned on a radio. I don't know if you have a clock radio next to your bed, but at our house we have uh, one next to my husband's side of the bed. And sometimes we try to move the dial to find a particular channel on there. Now, there'll be all sorts of strange noises. There'll be buzzing, whooshing, snippets of other languages sometimes, silence. But all of a sudden, we'll hear the familiar sound of the channel that we want. And then we'll gently fine-tune the dial so it settles in just the right spot to hear the presenter clearly without any of that other background noise. Fasting and worship is the same. It helps remove the distractions so it's easier for us to tune into what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. If we continue on to verse 3, we can see that they've already heard from the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we think, oh good, I fasted for a day or two. God's told me something to do. I can quit now um, and move on with everything else. But actually, it doesn't appear that this was the signal for them to stop fasting. It says that they continued to fast and pray. Now, prayer is such an important part of fasting, but it doesn't have to be elaborate or full of fancy words. In fact, I love the way the Passion Translation says it. In Matthew 6, verse 7, it says, When you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases, praying like the Gentiles do, for they expect God to hear them because they use many words. There is no need to imitate them. For the Father already knows what you need before you ask him. Prayer is meant to be a two-way conversation between you and God. 
A gentleman by the name of Pete Grieg has written a great book called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Sounds like me. He also helped create the Alpha Prayer Course, which one of our life groups did this year. And we would love to see that course run again next year. So if you're interested in doing the prayer course in your life group, come and let me know or one of our team know. Um, And if you'd like to start a life group, we can see if there's some other people who would like to join you to do that course. In the book, he gives a beautiful analogy of walking and adventuring through various landscapes as a way to describe our relationship and prayer life with Jesus. He writes, I realise there are times when all we need is just the fastest possible route to God. But there are ways of praying that are more like exploring than imploring. Woodland trails on which to shelter. Places so beautiful you'll stop and whisper praise. There are secret intimate places to camp and paths that take you to the highlands for a longer view under a bigger sky. The Lord is going to join you on the journey. He's putting putting his boots on right now. He's going to walk in silence with you and he will talk with you too. The conversation will ebb and flow. He will tell you things you never knew and he will ask you things that you've never told a soul. Occasionally you'll lose your sense of him, but not for long. Sometimes he will suggest to rest or he'll suggest a particular path. But mostly he will follow your lead, accompanying you every step of the way. God isn't going to charge on ahead of you in life. If you need to stop and rest, and even if you take a backward step or start walking down old paths again, he will be right there beside you. And he'll be waiting to pick up the conversation whenever you're ready to start talking again. If you don't know how to start a conversation with God, the Bible provides some beautiful examples of how to pray. The Psalms are a great example of conversations that David had with God, either in song or just spoken words. He spoke to God in all circumstances, during times of joy as well as during sadness, when he experienced great success as well as when he made some major errors of judgment and very poor choices. He cried out to God when he was afraid, ashamed or lonely. And he expressed his thankfulness and appreciation for what God had done in his life. Jesus also gives us an example and most of us know that as the Lord's Prayer. And if you haven't heard it before, this is how he suggests that we can pray. Now, some of you may have grown up in more traditional churches and use a few these and thous when you say this prayer, but I'm just going to use the the English Revised Version. It says, Our Father in heaven, we pray that your name will always be kept holy. We pray that your kingdom will come, that what you want will be done here on earth, just as as in heaven. Give us the food we need for today and forgive us our sins, just as we forgive those who did wrong to us. Don't let us be tempted, but save us from the evil one. For those who don't feel confident when it comes to prayer, as well as those who might want to refresh the way they've been spending their prayer times, Pete Grieg suggests four elements of prayer that we can find not only in the Lord's Prayer and in the Psalms, but in other people's places throughout the Bible as well. 
And it'll be easy to remember because it uses the word prayer as an acronym. Praise, rejoice, ask and yield. Now, it's not a formula or something that has to be done in a particular order. You don't have to do all four of these every single time you pray. But it might help if we, it just helps us to be more aware of the different ways that we can communicate with God. A great starting point for any conversation with God or anyone else really for that matter is to pause. How often do we slow down our thoughts or stop what we're doing so we can genuinely give our full attention to the person that we're talking to? I'm not even just talking about God right now, but just in regular conversations, how often do we stop and pause and really listen to someone else when they're talking to us? As we enter the week of fasting in a couple of weeks, it's a good time to pause and be still, centering our thoughts on God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Even if you don't know what to say, take the opportunity to sit quietly and just enjoy his presence. The second thing we can do when we pray is rejoice. Now, this is a wonderful opportunity to worship and magnify the Lord. When we think of a magnifying glass, it makes the thing that it focuses on bigger than everything else around it. And when we magnify the Lord, it's a way of reminding ourselves how big he is, how powerful, how wise, how strong and how good. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, the one thing we probably do the most in communicating with God is ask for things. Now, I'm sure we can all think of times where we've asked God to provide for our financial, employment or accommodation needs, somewhere to stay, house, food, all those kinds of things. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus reminds us that it's okay to ask for the provision of our practical needs. In Matthew 6, 11, it says, give us today the food we need. So there's nothing wrong with asking for these practical needs. We may be asking for his help in making friends, finding a life partner, or maybe even restoring a broken relationship. And we often ask for things like wisdom, healing, peace, and guidance. And Psalm 34 says, I asked the Lord for help, and he saved me from all my fears. The wonderful thing about prayer is that we can ask things for ourselves, but we can also ask things and pray for the needs of other people as well. And it's a great thing to do when we're not sure what else we can do humanly, what might not be possible in human terms. We always know that God is there and that we can ask him anything. The fourth element of Grieg's acronym is yielding. And it's probably the one that we find the hardest to do. It means being prepared to listen to the Holy Spirit. It means surrendering our will in favour of his. It means admitting when we're wrong and confessing our sins. It means choosing to walk with him even when we don't understand and acknowledging that God is in control. 
the final lines of the Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us give in to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. It's about surrendering to God's will, not ours. Yielding is about saying, yes, Lord. Prayer isn't meant to become a set of words or a formula that we repeat every morning or every night without any thought or feeling. Imagine if you sat down at the dinner table every night with your family, rattled off a list of the things you needed them to do around the house and then got up and walked away. Hopefully there's no one here that does that. It wouldn't be much of a relationship if that's all there was to it. If we have a strong, healthy relationship with a partner, a good friend or a family member, there are times when we rejoice and laugh together. There will be times of deep intimacy and sharing within our relationship. And sometimes we might seek comfort with very little need for words at all. If your prayer life has settled into a routine of saying the same things and praying in the same way all the time, consider how you might like to add some variety into your conversations with God. For me, there are times when I pause and admire the beauty of creation with him. Sometimes I ask for his wisdom in a difficult situation or I sense the peace of his presence guiding me in the midst of uncertain times. I know there are times when the songs that we sing during our worship service become a personal dialogue between myself and God. And I know there's things that I've prayed during worship times that afterwards I thought, oh dear, I've really asked for it now. Uh, I've surrendered things to God and said, I'll do whatever you want, God. And sure enough, he does make a step into things that we sing during our worship time and pray in our conversations with him. If we consider Grieg's description of landscapes and trails, prayer is meant to be in an ongoing adventure in walking and communicating with God through the different seasons of our life. If we go back to our earlier passage about Paul's first missionary journey, what did the worship, prayer and fasting achieve? The first thing to notice is that some people were called to stay and some people were called to go. But they were all involved in prayer, worship and fasting. Barnabas and Paul may have been the ones who were sent out, but the authority and the power they took with them was only possible because they all prepared well on the inside. And it's a reminder to us that as we join together in a time of fasting, who knows what God will do in our families and workplaces, in our city and across all levels of government, within this nation and throughout the world. Please take prayer and fasting seriously because as a community of believers, who knows the difference that we can make. The second thing to notice in this passage is that Paul and Barnabas' confidence came from their close proximity to the Holy Spirit. It gave them clarity of direction. It gave them wisdom to know the right people to choose for the task ahead. It gave them confidence to speak in the synagogues, throughout the towns and with the governor. They had discernment to see what the enemy was trying to do in the situation and the authority to look that sorcerer in the eye and declare the power of the Lord over that enemy. They were prayed up 
and the Lord was magnified. I think if the song Speak to the Mountains had have existed back in Paul and Barnabas' day, I'm sure they would have been singing it as they set out on their first missionary trip. And the words of that chorus go, I won't be shaken, I won't be moved. My God is faithful, his promise is true. So I speak to the mountains, it's time to move because my God is bigger, better, stronger and greater than you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we came out the other side of our week of fasting with a new clarity, a new confidence and greater authority to go about what God asks us to do? Can I ask the worship team please to join me on stage? Whenever we lack confidence in the decisions we've made or the direction we've taken, it's often a sign that we're doing things in our own strength and relying too much on ourselves and not enough on our God. In Acts 13, it says, The prophets and the teachers within the church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and prayed with them. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. The reason they were confident is because they had prepared well. They had fasted, worshipped and prayed. They were attentive to the voice of the Holy Spirit and they were obedient to what he said. They knew they were going in his strength, not in their own strength. For me personally, I watched my cousin and her family wrestle with the decision to return to her husband's country two years ago. They spent intentional time in prayer and fasting over many months leading up to this time. And they knew that God was calling them to move back to Israel with their four children. When I asked my, my aunt and uncle recently how they were going, knowing their daughter and her family were in Jerusalem, they said their faith wouldn't be worth much if they couldn't trust that God had called them back there and that He was with them. It doesn't mean it's easy sometimes when God calls us to do things. It doesn't mean it's easy to obey. doesn't mean we have our doubts sometimes whether it was what God asked or not. But for my family, instead of allowing fear or worry to become overwhelming, their go-to is worship, prayer and fasting. Our default can be to see things the way the world sees them, to allow worry and doubt to crowd in. And I know myself and some of our family have thought, why did they go back? Maybe it's time for them to return. But I know how earnestly they sought God before making that decision. I know how patiently they waited for His answer. So there is no room to doubt that they are walking in God's plan and purpose for their life. And I have such admiration for how deeply they trust in God, despite what it looks like from a human perspective. Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. If we allow it to, our times of fasting and prayer should lead us to this place of assurance, of strength and peace. Grieg says, prayer brings us peace 
It refreshes our souls. It satisfies our spiritual hunger and assures us of our forgiveness. Prayer not only changes us, it also changes situations. Now, I've talked a lot this morning about having a conversation with God. If you're in this room or you're watching online and you've been wondering if there's a God out there somewhere who might care about you and be interested in having a conversation with you, the good news is that our Heavenly Father would love to have a personal relationship with you. His Son, Jesus Christ, came to live on earth and He paid the price for our sins when He died on the cross. He rose to life again three days later, victorious over sin and death, so that we might be restored to a right relationship with our Heavenly Father and receive eternal life.